Yeah, I was giving somebody, in the, I'm not going to name any names, I was giving somebody a, a hard time in the church. I said, if you, uh, if you, if you don't, if, if it gets around noon and I'm still going, man, brother, just leave. Just leave. And I said, just find out that the, your car won't start when you get out in the parking lot. what you're going to find out. No, the Lord don't work that way. If the Lord worked that way, there wouldn't be anybody's car starting this morning because half of America, well, half of America, 90% of America is not in church this morning. So, Praise God, y'all, y'all are able to come in here and, and love the Lord and want to just hear His book preached and want to learn more about Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here in here to do. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Now, I'm going through a series of sermons on preaching Revelation, and I'm preaching on Revelation. I've preached... Revelation chapter 1, 2, 3, and I've gotten to Revelation 4. We got to the first verse, and now I've been here two Sundays preaching the first verse. So what's going on there is I, I preached the first, last Sunday was the rapture, and why we need the rapture. And the reason why there is a rapture is because God's not going to let the righteous suffer with the wicked. He never has. Noah went into the ark, and Jesus Christ says, as soon as Noah went into the ark, then the rains came. As soon as Lot was carried out of Sodom and Gomorrah, Fire and brimstone was rained down. And what that shows you, and Jesus said that, and what that shows you is, is that God is going to rapture us out, take us out, gather us out before he pours out his wrath, and that's in Revelation 6 through 18. Now what you've got to understand, why, what's going on with Revelation 6 through 18 is you've got Daniel's 70th week taking place. Daniel's 70th week is taking place from Revelation 6 to Revelation 18. Now you're going to hear me mention this all through my preaching and uh, I'll, I'll mention it. And when I mention it, and I hope, Lord willing, that this, your memory will bring this service back and you'll remember what was talked about in Daniel chapter 9. Because, brothers and sisters, this is so important. So important to understand in the book of Revelation. Once you get this key, and this key will open up the door to the book of Revelation, you'll start to understand how God in the end times, He's not dealing with Christians. The Lord is, in the end times is dealing with the nation of Israel, with the Jews. And when you understand how God cares about that country, He cares about that people, and that we're just part, we're just part, we're just getting in a little bit in, it, in on it through Jesus Christ. Now, when you get in Jesus Christ, you're neither Jew nor Gentile. Once you're in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a Jew, you're no longer a Gentile. You're you're saved. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're in a bright. Now, Daniel chapter nine. Look at verse one, and we'll get into this and go through this. In the first year of Darius the son of Hazarius of the seed of the Medes which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So, what's happening here is, the Jews had, had, had not been letting their land rest. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 36. So God comes in, and he brings Nebuchadnezzar, and he destroys Jerusalem, he destroys the temple, and he carries them off cap- captive to Babylon. If you look on this map on the wall, it might be hard to see, but far to the east is Babylon. So west of that, where that water's at, that's Israel, and they never carried out far east to Babylon. And uh, that's where Nebuchadnezzar was at. And all the Jews were carried off captive. And the land laid resting. The land, there was, no, no, there was hardly any Jews there. And, and so whenever Nebuchadnezzar lost his kingdom through Belshazzar, he lost his kingdom, the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered Babylon. All this was prophesied in the Bible. So when the Medes and the Persians came in, Darius was the leader of the Medes. And he comes in, it says, verse 2, in the first year of his reign, right when this happens, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. 70 years. I'm going to write 70 up here. 70 
years. So what he's reading is Jeremiah 25 where the Lord prophesied that he's going to have them in captivity for 70 years and then he's going to bring them back. So Jeremiah's reading this. So he realizes, verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy of them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Now, for time's sake, we're going to skip through this prayer. And he, 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 Daniel gives a beautiful prayer to the Lord God. We, you need to study this prayer. If you've never studied it out, just study Daniel chapter 9 where he prays to the Lord. It's a beautiful prayer to the Lord. But skip down to verse 20. Skip down there to verse 20. Get down to verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So the Lord says there, the Bible says there in verse 21, He's the man Gabriel. So angels in the Bible, that's the angel Gabriel. They look like men. And that's all through the Bible. The angels don't have these wings in the Bible. The angels are never described as having wings. It says there he flew, being caused to fly swiftly. So they, when they paint them, they would, in a Renaissance there, they'd paint the angels with wings. But the Bible never describes them as having wings. Angels in the Bible always look like men. They're mistaken to be men until they do something miraculous. And he says there's a man Gabriel. He looks like a man, but it's the angel, what we call an angel. He came by and he touched him at the evening oblation. That's a sacrifice. Evening sacrifice took place around 3 p.m. Look at verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. The whole reason Gabriel came and said, Daniel, I'm going to show you what's going to take place in the end. So you can understand, you've been praying about this, now God sent me to show you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom out of your book and this, these scripture, Lord God, and these words, Lord. There's numbers in here, Lord, that we need to calculate up, Lord. There's words here we need to figure out, Lord. But we pray, Father, for your leading and guiding through your Holy Spirit to understand it, Lord. I pray, Father, make it real to us. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. So I look at verse... 23, at the beginning of thy supplications. Now, this is still Gabriel talking to Daniel. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Here it is. Now, what you're going to have from verse 24 to verse 27 is what we call Daniel's 70th week, or Daniel's 70 weeks, plural. I put in here Daniel's 70th week because that's the one we're focusing on this morning, because that has to do with the book of Revelation. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, let's break that down. Seventy, I've got seventy up here already. Weeks, now in the Bible, a week is what? Seven days, right? Seven days. So, do you know that we know how, we know we can calculate astronomically, we can calculate a day because of the way the earth rotates around. We got one day, that's a rotation, that we call that one day. We can calculate the months because we got the moon, we use lunar, we can see that to the months. There's no astronomical way, there's no way to calculate a week. How do you know what a week is? You know what a week is because God told man what a week is. So every atheist, every non-believer, they're going by weeks, you know, Monday through Sunday. You know why they're doing that? Because God told us to do that. 
That's why they're doing that. That's why they're doing that. It's a week. So a week is seven days. So in the Bible, you don't have to write this down, but if you're interested in Genesis chapter 29, Numbers 14, Ezekiel 4, shows you that God calculates days as years. So what you, obviously when we study this prophecy, it's obviously going to be those weeks are going to, it's going to be a, it's going to be 70 weeks, 77s, and those are going to be years. And if you do 70 times 7, that's 490. So during this prophecy, you're going to have 490 years. And what's interesting, God works through those years like that. He works in, through Israel in 490 years. If you want to know more about this, there is no way I can give you all this information in a 30-minute sermon. But you get this book by Clarence Larkin called the called the book of Daniel. It's really, really excellent on this stuff. And this big old book right here, you can see I've got it wore out. I've got paper and little tags. And this is called The Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin, written in 1920. This book, I think, is written in 1922. Either way, it's written in the 1900s, early 1900s. You won't find a better book on prophecy. I'm telling you guys, what you're seeing, people like Tim LaHaye, people like that, uh, uh, Hal Lindsey, people like uh, Jack Van Empey, they were using Clarence Larkin's stuff. That's what they're doing. They're using his stuff. So we got 70 times 7 is 490 years, 70 weeks. So let's see if this 490 years, what is going to happen? Are determined upon, look, thy people and upon thy holy city. Who's that? That's the Jews in Jerusalem. That's not the church. Very important to understand this. Thy people. Who's Daniel's people? The Jew, Israel. And upon thy holy city. Whose holy city? What's the holy city? It's Jerusalem. So you've got these 70 weeks, and God has determined 70 weeks 490 years is determined upon Israel and upon, the, upon Jerusalem. And this is what's going to happen. And, he, and, 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 and Gabriel's going to give it to us. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an, in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's six items described there. So let's break them down. Go back up in verse 24. To finish the transgression. That's what started at Eden. When, when Adam and Eve transgress in the garden, this is going to finish it off. After 70 weeks, it'll be done. All that will be finished. And to make an end of sins. That's at the second coming of Jesus Christ when he finishes wiping out all sin. And to, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. When was reconciliation made for iniquity? Well, obviously at the cross when God made re reconciled us to God, Jesus Christ did through his blood at the cross. So that's Calvary. And look at the middle of verse 24. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the millennial kingdom that we'll look at in the book of Revelation. Jesus rules and reigns this world on a throne in Jerusalem. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy. So what that means is to fulfill prophecy and to end it. There'll be no more need for prophecy. There'll be no more need for visions because Jesus will be right there. There's this Bible, I think it's in Zechariah, it might be in Zephaniah, where it says that there'll be a man that comes up and says, Thus saith the Lord, and they'll kill him. They'll say, You don't need to tell me that because the Lord's right there. There'll be no need for a preacher to say, Thus saith the Lord, because the Lord's right there sitting in Jerusalem. You can go listen to him yourself. And to anoint, anoint, excuse me, anoint the most holy, the end of verse 24, the anoint the most holy. That's to give Jesus his rightful place, which is King of kings and Lord of lords. So what you're seeing there in verse 24, all that I just described to you is what we're looking for at the end of Revelation, which is the millennial kingdom, which is Jesus sitting on a throne, 
through the tribulation period. So all that needs to take place, and that's what these 70 weeks are, and they're determined on who? On the Jew and on Israel. If you want to know what God's going to do, look at the Jew and Israel. If you don't want to know where God's at today, look at the Jew and Israel. Where is God at today? When it comes to prophecy, when it comes to end-time events, well, in 1948, something miraculous happened. There was a nation born in one day, Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 says, who's ever heard of a nation being born at once? Nobody's heard of that, right? Israel became a nation in one day. United Nations voted Israel to become a nation in 1948. One day, May. Boom, they're a nation, just like the Bible prophesied. Why did that happen? Because of our president, President Truman. He voted it in. Everybody went against Truman. All of his advisors says, don't do it. The Arabians will get mad. The Muslims will get mad. All our oil's coming from Arabia. Don't get them mad. Just don't vote them in. But Israel had no place to go. They had been run off by the Germans, by the Polish, by the Ukra Ukrainians. They had been put in concentration camps. They'd been killed by the six millions. They were in boats. They had no land. They said, give us our land back. And God brought them back to their land in 1948. You know what that tells every Christian in here? God's time clock is starting up again. And you're about to see it, brothers and sisters. All right, look at verse 25, and I'll explain it. Knowing therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So, there's the prophecy. The first prophecy is there's going to be a commandment from a king to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Because remember, at this time when Daniel's writing this, Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple's destroyed, the wall's destroyed, and he says there's going, there's going to come a time where they're going to rebuild it, and they're going to rebuild it, and it's going to even in troublous times turn to Nehemiah. Before you do, though, let me stop you. Before you turn to Nehemiah, look up, if your Bible... If your Bible has a date at the top, does any of y'all's Bibles have dates at the top of this page? Like what date this is written? Does your Bible have any of that? Okay. My Bible's going to say 536 B.C. My Bible says 536 B.C. Does anybody else have a, have a Bible with a date on it? Brother, uh, Marowitz, Brother Marowitz, what's your Bible say? 538, okay, so you see in 536, 538... B.C., that's before Christ. So what happens is, the timeline is, it's, it, before Christ, everything's going backwards. Everything's working towards Christ, and after Christ, everything's going forward. Right? But now the modern-day scholars, they don't say B.C. anymore, they say C.E. They say before the common era and after the common era. A.C.E. C.E. and A.C.E. They say after the common era and before the common era. The common era, after the common era. The point is, is they're trying to take Christ out. You can't take him out because still the question is, what's before and what's after the common era? It's Jesus Christ. But look at that date, 536. You've got very important to understand that. Because turn, now turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, please. Nehemiah is before the book of Psalms. If you can find the book of Psalms in your Bible, turn left. You'll turn left, you'll find Job. And if you keep on turning left through Job, you'll find the book of Nehemiah. It'll be Esther and then Nehemiah. Esther, ne Nehemiah. But look at Nehemiah chapter 2. So, what you've got to understand about your Bible, it was written all, over a couple of thousand years, 
but when they, when, they put, when they collated the Bible, they didn't put the Bible in chronological order, and that can confuse people. Sometimes you'll see, well, Daniel's, in my Bible, Daniel's later on in the book, and Nehemiah's before Daniel, but Nehemiah's written after Daniel. If you've got a Bible, if you look at the top, if you're in Nehemiah chapter 2, what date do you have on yours, Daryl? 445. Okay, that's what I have. So I have 445 for the book of, for the book of uh, Nehemiah. It's very important to understand. And if you don't have this in your Bible, that don't mean you have a bad Bible. Just some Bibles do, some Bibles don't. My Bible does, Daryl's does. We have better Bibles, right, brother? No, I'm just joking. No, but the, the point is, is I'm, 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 I'm getting a second witness to show you that this day, these day, this is this is taking place after Daniel's prophecy. And it's taking place a good hundred years after Daniel's prophecy. Because remember, it's going to be 445, 400, 300, 200, 100, Jesus Christ. And then it's going to be 100, 200, 300,000, 2,000, we're, we're sitting in 2022. That's how time, this is a timeline here. This black line is a timeline. So in 445 B.C., look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make? Excuse me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, and to the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. So the, he's, a, he's a cupbearer for the king, and Artaxerxes says, what's, what's your problem? Why are you sad in my countenance? And Nehemiah says, Well, my, my, all my people's land is laying desolate. I want to go rebuild it. Verse 6, and the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. There's a good chance that that queen is Esther, out of the book of Esther. That's pretty interesting. For how long shalt thou journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set, set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me, the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates in the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So what you're reading is what Daniel prophesied through Gabriel, the angel, that there would come a time that the king's going to rebuild, gonna be, it's going to send out to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what you're reading in Nehemiah right there. That's what you're reading in Nehemiah. So turn back to Daniel. The reason why I'm showing that to you physically is because scholars hate the book, liberal scholars hate the book of Daniel. Liberal scholars do not like the book of Daniel because of that right there, what I just showed you. Because there's no way around it. Daniel is prophesying way before it takes place. And you, there's no doubt it took place, Daniel prophesied it. So what liberal scholars will do is say, Daniel was written, written a lot later than they say. Daniel had to be written a lot later than they say. And you say, well, what's the evidence of that? They don't have any evidence. You know why they say that? Because they don't like the Bible to be right. Guys, you've got the right book in your lap. I promise you. This thing's amazing. So come back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Let's break this down again. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, we just read it in Nehemiah chapter 2, until the Messiah, the Prince... The Messiah, the Prince, is obviously our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the Messiah, the Prince, right here. We're going to put him right up here. 
This is the Messiah, the Prince, Jesus Christ. So he says, from the, from the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, 445 B.C., to the Messiah, the Prince, will be what? Shall be seven weeks. Here we go with these numbers again. Seven weeks, which is 49 years, and, then, and three score and two weeks. A score, a score equals 20. A score equals 20. So it says, and three score. So when you say three score, that's three times 20 plus two. So three times 20 is 60 plus two. So you have seven plus 62. That's 69. The street shall be built and shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And it took place. It took place in Nehemiah. Now, when you read the book of Nehemiah, and the reason why the Bible set up the way it is, you say, well, then why is the Bible set up where it's not chronological? Well, the people, the King James translators that were setting up the Bible that were putting this, and they were, they were following what Tyndale had did and what Martin Luther had did, and there's nothing wrong with that. They were setting it up, and they just set it up like that. But what they didn't realize they were doing, because they weren't premillennialists like us, they didn't believe in a in the millennial kingdom setting up at the end of the, at the church age. What they were doing is they were setting the Bible up in a premillennial manner, manner. So you have Esther, you have Ezra, you have Nehemiah, you have Israel coming back, starting to rebuild, and then you have Job, that's the 42, uh, 42 chapters in Job, that's the Jew in tribulation period, 42 months, half, three and a half years, and then you have Psalms, the millennial kingdom. They're setting it up in a premillennial manner. Uh, but you got 7 times 62 is 69, 69 weeks. If you want to break that down even more, it's 49 years and then 434 years. 49 years, that's 7 times, 7 times 7, right? And then 7 times 62 is 400, what did I say, 434 years? Yeah. This math stuff, man, it'll get you. But what's interesting, though, is when you, when you calculate that out, that's exactly what happened. So seven years right here. And what did he say, 62 weeks? And then he said seven weeks. So those are weeks right there. And that's exactly what happened. It took about, it took about 50 years for the Jerusalem to get rebuilt. And then when Jerusalem got rebuilt, what happened in your Bible is Malachi. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And that's the end of the Old Testament. So about 49, so why, the reason why the Lord splits that up into seven, because he says, she'll be seven weeks and then comma and three score and two weeks. The reason he splits it up is the end of the Old Testament, 49 years. And then the next 434 years, that's called the time of silence. It's about 400 years, 434 years, which I got it up here, is a time of silence until Jesus Christ comes back. So from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew in your Bible, there was like a 400 year silence. That God didn't talk. America hasn't been around 400 years, guys. So that just what I'm, see what I'm saying? Like God sometimes will be quiet and be quiet, be quiet for hundreds of years. And you're like, where's the Lord? And then people start saying, there is no God. And then he shows up. Don't be fooled. Just because Christ has been gone for 2,000 years, the world's starting to say, see, there is no God. There is no Lord. Get ready. He's coming back. He's coming back. I promise you that. Three score and two weeks, the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks, after this right here, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Well, that's obviously a prophecy of the crucifixion of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
Notice verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, and I've got it up here. I've got the cross hanging up here. And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's, actually, that's obviously Jesus being rejected as the king of the Jews and then being crucified. And the people, now, now notice, here we go again. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I'm going to put a little mark right here. So in 70 AD, 70 AD, Titus came in, the Roman governor. Titus came in, the Roman general. He came in and he destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's historical. All this is, all this is historical fact. As a matter of fact, and I don't have the time to show you, but this date when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah, go back and rebuild it, it's exactly to the date that Jesus Christ comes in to the, the, the week before he's crucified. To the, to the day, brothers and sisters. This Bible is amazing, the calculation in this Bible. So you got the Messiah being cut off, that's the crucifixion. Then he says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, the Romans destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 A.D., Who's that prince there? That prince is obviously talking about at the Antichrist. Jesus Christ, speaking about the Antichrist in verse, uh, John chapter 16, he said the prince of this world is, here, is going to be judged. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said the prince of the power of the air. So that prince is the Antichrist. That prince is the Antichrist. And it shows there, and the people of the prince, so the Romans, that's why you have so many preachers and so many scholars and teachers say the Antichrist is going to be Roman. You ever heard that before? He's going to come from a revised Roman Empire. He's going to be Roman. The Antichrist is going to be Roman. That's where they get that from. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we know the Antichrist is going to be associated with Rome. Now we know that modern day Rome would be the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope. That's why they think so much that the Pope will either be the Antichrist or be uh, a, the false prophet. I don't believe the Pope is going to be the Antichrist. I think he might be the false prophet. But here, neither here nor there, we'll get into that when we get deeper into Revelation. And the people of the princess shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So let's break these last two down. What time is it? Okay, I got time. And, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. So the end thereof will be with the flood. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Now let's tie Revelation into this. Because it says at the end there will be a flood. Revelation chapter 12. So if you know this book of the Bible, Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, Israel's prophesied at the beginning of Revelation chapter 12. And if you don't get any of this, don't worry, I'm going to preach this. And when I preach it on a Sunday, I'll, I'll go into great detail, more detail. But there's a war that breaks out in heaven. And the angel, Michael the archangel, and the devil and his angels, they fight in heaven. And the Michael, Michael the archangel kicks the devil and his angels out of heaven. And verse... Uh, 12, look at verse 12, Revelation 12, 12. So when the devil gets kicked out, therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, that woman is Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that man-child is Jesus Christ. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time, one, and a times, two, and half a time, that's three and a half, three and a half years, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. There's that flood that's prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. But look at verse 16. And the earth 
helped the woman in the earth open her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. There's a lot in there. I can't get into it. I will. I promise you, Lord willing, and we're not raptured out of here or the Lord will take me home. I'll preach on Revelation chapter 12. But for what the focus is verse 15, that there's mentioned a, a serpent cast out of his mouth, water as a flood after the woman. So there is a flood described there that happens in Revelation chapter 12. And I, look at Isaiah chapter 59. I'll show you what that probably more likely is. Look at Isaiah 59. I know I'm turning to a lot of places this morning, but just hang with me if you can. Isaiah 59. If, you're not, if you can't hang with me, I'm going to be reading them out loud. Isaiah 59 verse 19. Isaiah 59 verse 19. Isaiah 59 verse 19. And then we'll get into this. In, we're about to get into the Antichrist. The last 10 minutes of the service we be getting into the Antichrist. Isaiah 59, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun? This is obviously talking about the end times, second advent, second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at the middle of verse 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So the enemy will come in like a flood. So it kind of implies that there will be just a flood of men, a flood of, of soldiers, a flood just coming into Jerusalem to try to destroy Jerusalem. The Bible says that, the, and we'll get into this, that the river Euphrates is dried up so a 200 million man army can come from the east. Now there's no country that has a 200 million man army but one in the whole world. That's China. And that's where it's coming, from the east. The Chinese are coming in from the east, including Russia. And we'll get into that as I preach through the book of Revelation. But back in Daniel chapter 9. So there's that flood to help you understand. Daniel 9 verse 26. There's that flood. And now we'll get into the end to the Antichrist. Verse, 20, uh, verse 26. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. At the end of verse 26, I'm picking it up. And until the end of the war, desolations are determined. That's obviously talking about... The last war, the battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19. All right, Revelation 27. This is it, guys. This is going to tie all this together. This is going to tie the book of Revelation and Daniel, all this together. So important, Antichrist. And he, that he there is not talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Antichrist. He, the Antichrist, the, one, the, people, the, the, the prince of the people, the Romans. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, if you've been adding this stuff up, you see the 69 weeks here? So if you've been adding this up, you've realized that God's been dealing with Israel. He said he's going to deal with Israel for 70 weeks. If you add all this up, it's been 69 weeks till Jesus Christ. And then God stops. And then he says at the end, the, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant. And this is where we have the seven-year tribulation period that I preach about, that I talk about. Seven-year tribulation period. What happened before the tribulation period? I just preached last Sunday, the rapture. We had the rapture happen. So, there's a seven-year... So what happens there, that last week, verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's one week left that God needs to deal with Israel. One week. And in the midst of the week... He shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease in the midst of the week. Right about halfway through. You know what you find out? when You'll see this over and over and over again, and I'll try to point it out in my preaching as I go through the book of Revelation. What you'll see is this. You'll see 
three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. All three of those are three and a half years. They're a half of seven. And it says in the midst of the week, he, in the midst, he makes a covenant. So what happens is the Antichrist comes in, and there obviously has to be a third temple built. There's not a third temple now. Everything's set up for the temple. So what needs to happen? Well, what needed to happen was Israel needed to come back to the land. That happened in 1948. Israel needed to rebuild the city and make it prosperous. That happened from 1948 till today. So what's the last thing that needs to happen for this to all take place? The Antichrist needs to rebuild it. There needs to be a third temple. There needs to be a third temple built. Up on that mountain, when you see those Jews that are at that wall, the wailing wall, and the, they're, 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 you'll see them with their little prayer books. They're, doing all, they're at the edge of that prayer wall, that wailing wall. And at the top of that wall is a flat mount. That's where the Dome of the Rock is at. The Muslims say Muhammad descended, ascended on a nightmare, on a stallion. And they worship that. And there's no way they'll let a Jew up there. No way. 1967, the Jews got that temple mount, and the United Nations with America talked them into giving it back. They should have never gave it back. But they got that in the, in the Six-Day War. They got that. They won that over, and they gave it right back to Muslims. Now the Muslims won't let nobody up there. So that's where the temple has to be rebuilt, and there has to be a covenant. So the Antichrist obviously comes in. He makes an agreement. Somehow or another, he makes an agreement between the Muslims and the Jews to allow the Jew to get up there and to rebuild that temple, and I'll show it to you in a minute, okay? And he, in the midst of the week, he makes that covenant for one week. It's a seven-year period. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. And then finally, even unto the consummation, that's the utter end, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That's the very end, the battle of Armageddon. But we want to focus on the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. So turn to Daniel chapter 8. So somehow or another, the Antichrist comes in and he does something in that temple that makes a sacrifice. They're doing sacrifices. The Jews are all happy. They got their temple back. Do you know I just read an article just last week where they have got the red heifers over there. They got the red heifers. What does that mean, brother? That means they're getting ready. They got, they got all the, the utensils to make the, temp, the temple work. They got everything ready. All they're waiting for is to be able to get up on that mount. And every year, the, the, the government in Jerusalem, the Jews, they, they go into the Knesset, which is what it's in modern day, what we call the Congress. And they're, 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 the religious leader says, we need the Temple Mount. We need to be up there. We need to be up there. We need to be worshiping. We need to be sacrificing. This is getting stronger and stronger. Because we're getting time to the end of this 69 weeks, guys. It's getting t God's getting ready to move. Look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 11. This is a prophecy of the Antichrist. Starting in verse 8, but we're not going to read all that for time's sake. But look at verse 11, talking about the Antichrist. Yea, he, the Antichrist, magnifies himself, magnified himself even to the prince of the host. The prince of the host is Jesus. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So there was a sacrifice, it's took away. So there must be a third temple for those sacrifices to begin. Look at Daniel chapter 11. Look at Daniel chapter 11, talking about this this abomination. And then we'll turn and see what Jesus says about all this. Jesus had something to say about it. Daniel chapter 11, look at verse 31. We're talking about the sacrifice being took away. They're talking about the abomination and desolation. An arm shall stand on his part, and this is, all, this is all prophecy of the Antichrist, and they shall pollute the sanctuary strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice 
And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. There's something set up in that temple that causes the Jews to run, makes it desolate. It's an abomination. An abomination to God is something that makes God want to puke. That's the best way to describe it. And they set something up in there. Now look at Matthew chapter 24. Because Jesus talks about it. Jesus mentions this in his end time events. So in Matthew 24, turn to Matthew 24. So the disciples come to Christ. And they say, when's the end of the world going to be? When are the signs of the times? When, is, when are you going to come? Basically, when's it all going to end? That's what they ask him at the beginning of Matthew 24. So Jesus goes forth and he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and pestilences. COVID, hurricanes, like I end, all that stuff's going to be going on, earthquakes. He says, all this is just the beginning of sorrows. Then he continues on, and look at what he says in verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ speaking. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We just read it. All right, guys, we just read it. When you see that, he says, stand, underline that word, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then, Christ says, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. This is Jewish. He didn't say those that be in America go flee. He says it's Jewish. Those that be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Jewish Sabbath day. That's Jewish. Verse 21, why? For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No nor ever shall be. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period is going to be a time of peace. The last three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be what Jesus Christ calls the great tribulation. So the first three and a half years, there's going to be peace breaking out. Everything will be going good. The Antichrist will be okay. The Bible describes him as coming out as a, on a white horse as a politician. And he's going to be a politician. He's going to speak, speak great political things. But he's going to set up, and then Revelation 13 says he gets assassinated. Turn to Thessalonians, chapter 2 Thessalonians, and I'm closing, guys, I promise. We're right on time. Y'all don't worry, right on time. 2 Thessalonians, I'm doing a, cra a crash course in Bible theology. 2 Thessalonians, and I'll show you what all this means, and we'll close them. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. So the Bible says that the Antichrist rises up, he makes a covenant. And when he makes a covenant, somehow in the middle of that covenant, he breaks that covenant. And then he sets up an abomination of desolation. He, sets up, he causes the sacrifice to stop. And Christ says, when you see that abomination of desolation stand, you better run for the hills. And you better hope that you don't have children. You better hope that it's not the Sabbath because you won't be able to fly out of Jerusalem. It'll be horrible. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is Paul talking about the Antichrist. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's our rapture. That's us getting out of here. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. That second coming of Christ is at hand. He says, this is what has to happen. Let no man deceive you by any means. Verse 3. 
For that day, the second coming of Jesus Christ, not the rapture, but the second coming, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Are we seeing a falling away? I think so. And that man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed the son of perdition. We're getting close, guys. Really, really close. All the, all the vaccine mandates, all the centralized government, all the centralized banking system, all the going away from a cashless, to be, make us a cashless society, that's for one government and one man to control each and every one of us in here. That's why if you have any kind of sense, you're fighting against that nonsense. You're fighting against it because it's taking away our liberties, every one of us in here. There's going to come a time where you're not going to throw cash into the offering plate. You're going to have to scan a card. You say, well, I'll just scan my debit card. What if, the, what if MasterCard and, De and Visa don't like what, what you believe in? They cut you off. That's happening right now. That's happening right now. Y'all need to look into that. Don't take my word for it. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself, the Antichrist, above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, Showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? So what you have, putting the Bible together. God's gone through, God says, I got 70 weeks determined on Israel and the Jews. Well, he's done 69 of them up through Jesus Christ. We're waiting for that last week, that seven-year period. The Bible says that the Antichrist is going to make a, is going to make a covenant with Israel. And it's going to be a covenant. And halfway through that covenant, that one-week covenant, that seven-year period, he breaks it. He breaks it. And he says that he, he causes an abomination to be set up. And it causes desolation in the temple. And the Bible says here, Paul says, whenever, he says, when that man of sin is revealed, he comes into the temple and he says, I'm God. And he sits down. Now, if you put the Bible together, and maybe this is all speculation, maybe that's when he gets assassinated. That's when he gets that, that, that sword to the head that kills him. And what happens is when he gets that sword of the head, the Bible says he comes back alive and he stands. And Jesus Christ says, when you see the abomination of desolation stand, there'll be great tribulation like man's never known. He goes, run for the hills. That's what is happening. Is that Antichrist goes in and says, I'm God. Worship me. And the Jews say, we have no God but Jehovah. And they run. And the Bible says in Zechariah, says they'll look on Jesus Christ as, as, as the son that they had rejected. They'll look on Jesus Christ and realize they had rejected their son, their Messiah. And they'll turn to Jesus Christ. So what we have here and what's going on in the book of Revelation is simply this. You've got, from Revelation, I'm going to get here and write this. Revelation chapter 6 to verse 18, you've got, Daniel's 70th week being fulfilled. And as I preach through that, I want y'all to remember that. You're going to see it being very Jewish. It's going to be very Jewish. It's going to be, very, it's going to be about the Jews and Israel. It's going to mention the tribes. Because God's dealing with the Jew for that last seven-year period, that last one week. He's got one week left. And what did Gabriel say? Once that 70 weeks is fulfilled, you got the millennial kingdom. It's all done. So we're waiting for that 70 week. Therefore, that's why I say... When you see Israel become a nation in 1948, <laughs> and you see Israel becoming a world player in the world system, and they are, you better get ready. You start packing your bags. We're about to get raptured out of here. 
Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. Because the Antichrist is coming up, and he's going to set up this, this covenant with Israel, the Jew. And it's gonna, he's going to uh, cause worldwide fear as he tries to control everybody and say, Hey, I'm God. Worship me. And he, the Bible says he may make an image to the beast that probably set it up in the temple. This image to the beast that can talk and speak. And no man who can buy or sell unless they have that mark of the beast. All that's taking place that last three and a half years. It's a horrible time, but you can get out of it through Jesus Christ. And he promised us that the our, we're not going to get that wrath. We get raptured out. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord God. And I thank you, Father, for your, your numbers, Lord, that you have in here. Lord, I know that you love those numbers, Lord. And I know that Peter, when he came to you and said, Lord, should I forgive them seven times? Uh, you, Lord Jesus, you said no, 70 times 70. And I know, Lord God, that you got things counted out, Lord, that 490 years, Lord, that 490 times, Lord. I know you got that counted out, Lord. I see that over and over and over in your scripture, Lord God. And I pray, Father, you'd forgive us, Lord. Help us to understand it, Lord God. If I pray, Father, we'd love to be took out of this world, Lord God. Rapture us out this morning, Lord God. Just take us on out of here, Lord God. We'd be happy to go. So many of our loved ones are up in heaven with you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. And we can't wait to get up there and see them, to see you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have a quick invitation, brother. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but... Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.